everyone. Welcome to another episode of I Can Do This All Day. I'm Dan, the part-time adventure, and with me is Mark, the resident Jedi. Hello there. Today, we were taking retro rewind to the next decade. We're, we're rewinding back to the 80s, a, a wonderful decade for movies. And we've so each selected one film to, uh, to talk about, to review, to, to share, and to have the other person watch and react to. So today, we're touching on two 80s classics, Back to the Future and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Dan, you picked Back to the Future. Do you want to get us rolling? This movie, the reason why I picked it, I I think it might be my favorite movie ever. Um, And and it sounds kind of strange saying that, but out of all the movies that I've loved, adored, and uh, been obsessed with over my entire life, this is one particular movie that is always a feel-good movie. If it's on, I'll watch it to to the end, so wherever it's at. It could be wherever it's um, wherever it's at in the movie in terms of plot and everything. But I, it's just one of those things that I figured, you know what? Does it still hold up now? It's been probably a year or so since I've actually rewatched it. Um, I've loved it every single time before, but does it still hold up now? I don't know. We're that's what we're going to talk about today. So. Back to the Future. Um, uh, Mark, I want to ask you, what is your origin story of Back to the Future? What was your childhood like with this movie? And I'm assuming you watched it during your childhood. Tell me a little bit about that. I didn't have a copy of it, but I watched it at a couple different places. Um, And then, you know, you could always see it on cable and stuff like that. And uh, as a kid, candidly, I always liked Back to the Future Part 2 a little bit better. Because I wanted a hoverboard. Okay. Interesting. But that's a different discussion. That's a completely different discussion. So you saw it on VHS or like at oh, a yeah. movie night For somewhere? sure VHS. Okay. Multiple places. Like I did, I can't remember the exact first time, but, you know, it, it, I, I think this movie's in the triple digits of viewings for me too. It is okay. a uh, It is a wonderful movie. So I believe I watched this after watching the movie Teen Wolf. So I saw Teen Wolf first. And once again, like many other times for a lot of movies that we've watched uh, and we've talked about on this podcast, it came down to me coming home from school one day. And my brother said, hey, we've got another movie to watch. And I was asking, like, what was it like? I was like, well, if you like Teen Wolf, you like this. And the first scene with a can of dog food opening up, it's like a Rube Goldberg type of elaborate, uh, you know, Doc Brown creation. And it's just like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, this isn't Teen Wolf. And then I saw the guy from Teen Wolf. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'll like this. So it was an interesting origin for Back to the Future. Um, VHS, never saw it in the movie theaters. I think it was three years old when the movie came out but um yeah lots of fun so for me when it comes to back to the future overall um it's all about the characters so i want to dive right into the characters you've got marty mcfly 
the main character overall. Um, what was your exposure to Michael J. Fox at that point when you watched this movie? Family Ties. Alex P. Did you like that character in Family Ties? I, I did. I did. I was a big Alex P. Keaton fan. Really? Yeah. yeah I know. I did it's, not it's, like it. It's shameful. I, 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 Alex P. Keaton. Definitely my guy. Except when he's mean to Tom Hanks because he's a little drunk. Tom Hanks drank vanilla extract. I remember that episode. I remember. Alcoholic Tom Hanks. Not a good guy back in the 80s. Not a good not guy. Not a bosom buddy at that point. <laughs> So, speaking of buddies, um, I feel like Marty McFly would be just like a really good friend, just because he seems like a a nice kid, you know. I'm sure it's a great. He's cool, and um, I don't know, late for school, kind of that cool bad boy type of attitude, I guess. But not not really a bad boy. He just is late to school. I mean, what's so wrong with that? I disagree. I disagree heavily. I think Marty was like the weird loner kid whose best friend is like, is like, I don't know how old Christopher Lloyd's supposed to be in this movie, but significantly older who draws him into his garage with, with science. Science. Yeah. I I mean, I I don't know. He seems to get picked on by all the, uh, by all the Biff's kids or or whatever in in that. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I actually, you know, that doesn't bother me. I I would find it weird that he's friends with like, you know, um, at least a, a 50 year old or a 60 year old scientist, I would assume at that time, because he was looking pretty much the same in 1955. So he's still a gray hair in 1955. It's it's crazy. You know, it's the weird, funny thing about that is, is that we'll kind of go back and forth between Doc and Marty in terms of the characters, but they actually put prosthetic makeup on Doc to make him look older in 1985. Like they even needed that because he looked exactly the same in both. They did that until Back to the Future 2, where they only put the makeup on once and then he peels it off. Because yeah. it was a disguise. I didn't think you'd recognize me. Yeah, the same thing. It's, it's a hilarious and <laughs> back to the future too. Like, I didn't even think about that. But um, yeah, no, good call. But uh, Marty, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. He is almost kind of like the weird kid um, gets picked on. But dude, who the hell would have liked Biff? Like, that's the popular guy. Like, fuck Biff. That guy I think sucks. we all know a Biff. And we know that Biff's never the popular guy. But Marty wasn't hanging out with, like, I don't, I guess it depends what you define as popular in like a high school angsty situation. He he was, he was was like, you know, in his mid twenties in a believable high schooler, you know, because he's tiny. He, but he wasn't unlikable. That's, that's why I said like, yeah, I I would be friends with that guy. I don't care how weird he is and in quotes, because you know what, man? Going back to high school, in uh, he was a junior, maybe a senior, because he said he was seventeen. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I, I wouldn't say that I was super like loserish, but I also wasn't super cool. I was fairly cool with everyone, but also at the same time, it, it's the high school sucks regardless. So it, it's kind of kind of weird. Let me guess, but, Dan, you were a slacker. No, no, I was a 
good kid and never got anything below a C, a very few C's in my, in my high school career. Um, but yeah, I mean, I played sports. Um, I was in band. So the, the nerdy thing would be as I was in band. So, uh, but I will say that my high school was a little bit different. So I went to an all guy high school and it was a private Catholic high school. So there's a little bit of the, the aura of like, you know what? It wasn't even really a bad high school in comparison to like co-ed public schools or anything like that. Um, where I was super against going because I wanted to go with my friends to, to the public high school. But if going back in time, like I, I wouldn't change a thing because it was like a big fraternity and it was just like a fun time, like going between classes. Everyone was just like, no one showered and just like basically just fucked around for a majority of the day, but we were good students. And um, most of them were, were stand-up kids. And even the, the guys that were, were jerks, high school man like it's it's one of those things where i bet they regret being jerks in high school so i'm good with that man the listeners just got a huge huge insight into why you are the way that you are how did you you feel about marty's band being the experienced musician that you are so the pinheads marty could shred man I don't know why, like, it must have been Strickland where they were just like, we're not giving this guy a chance, like, slacker out of it there. Was, it was Huey Lewis. He was mad at him for playing his song. Because the guy Huey who, Lewis does get mad at people for playing his music. Well, so. Huey Lewis was the judge that kicked him out of the competition as he was playing the Huey Lewis song Mark, in the competition. He was just too darn loud. He was. He was. The power of love is a soft thing, apparently. <laughs> it's a ballad. So, Marty, I, I like the character of Marty. Um, his just uh, really just fun guy. Like, and, and he never seemed like the down and out type of person, like as a person in high school should be, probably. Um, sure, he had a little bit of, uh, you know, that moment with Jennifer on the bench at the beginning, uh, but no, he was it was pretty positive and not such a downer on himself the entire movie. I think it was pretty cool. And I mean, he had great willpower because he didn't bang his mom. And she was so hot. She was so hot. She was so thin. <laughs> oh, man. No Oedipus complex <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, did you ever watch, so here comes the random, ran, random alert, random alert. So have you ever watched the uh, Netflix show Glow? I have not. Okay. So that show is funny because Mark Marin is, um, he plays like this alcoholic shitbag guy. And um, it's a stretch he's Mark talking Marin. about, yeah, <laughs> he's talking about how he wrote a script about a guy that goes back in time to fuck his mom and and the people are, are this is uh set in the 80s and they're they're talking about like yeah they've made that movie it's back to the future he's like no 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 he goes back in time and he wants to have sex with his mother <laughs> it's like yeah back to the future it's just a, a fun callback and just i i love that show just because of that little uh back to the future homage and making fun of the whole thing it's it's definitely a an interesting concept to deliver into a movie and like 
a scene that um, may not be appropriate for all ages public airing in, say, a retail setting. Because somebody may have may have played this DVD over and over again in a retail store at some point in their life. I don't know. I don't know. Marty McFly's a character to me was just one of those nice feel good characters. A um, little bit down on his luck, but at the same time, he wasn't overtly that 1980s character of like a jock or nerd or really he was kind of somewhat in between, but. Uh, you had said something a little bit earlier that he's much of a slacker. So that's, that's kind of what he, he was. Did. He was such a loner. He was like, didn't have friends. It wasn't like any other, like at least most movies where you play somebody in high school, you've got like a buddy. He's got what can only be at least a 50 year old man. Right. Cause he, he was, he was gray haired old with dead parents in the fifties. Right. So, 30 years later, how old is the doc and what is going on here? But the funny thing is about that is that um, he had a band. So he had some friends, at least, you know, a couple of friends in that band. And they're never mentioned once again, anytime after that. No, but all the dudes that can play guitar, like can find a band. If you're an awesome, if you shred like Marty, you're, you're going to get picked up by a band. Or he found those people. You don't know if those were students or if those were like people from Guitar <laughs> Center. He could have been that guy that just goes to the Guitar Center by himself and tries to play Stairway to Heaven. You never know. Very true. Yeah, yeah you might be right. You might be right. And, and I guess my experience with uh, some of the people that I knew that, that used to be in bands, um, they were just a lot more close knits, but you're right. I mean, it could have just been like, Hey, you want to start a band? And then, yeah, sure. We, we, there's this battle of the bands. Let's just form a little group. Maybe. Yeah, no, Maybe. he was very Morty. This Marty. He was very Morty. He was, not as whiny, not as whiny, not as whiny, but a loner. And you I know, it, it, he's, he's, he's Morty with a girlfriend basically. That's a big difference, man. Sometimes the girlfriend makes the big difference. So that is that is true. That is true. But he was not alone because, as you mentioned earlier, he had his at least fifty-year-old companion, Doc, Doctor Emmett Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd. What a weirdo! You know that's the best movie character of the eighties. Yeah, yeah. And um, who wouldn't want to have? a scientist friend like that that has like you know a rube goldberg obstacle type machine just to open up a can of dog food um it's got to be freaking amazing to have someone like that just to have that type of crazy mind uh in my opinion in my opinion uh, he was just trying marty was just trying to find a way to play louder getting the doc to build him an amplifier that he broke if he could have just made it to 11 you know it could have been it would have worked that would have worked yeah Speaking of Eleven, so uh, did you watch Spinal Tap? Back oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I love Spinal Tap. So good. So Excellent good. movie. Yeah. And they're, so they're like, supposedly making a sequel. R- now? Really? Supposedly. Oh, my God. Wouldn't I, that I be totally the best watched. thing ever? That would be. That'd be or awesome. To, if they were or still the worst? Out. I don't even know. I don't even know. Knows, oh, man. But that would be pretty sweet. Um, 
Doc Brown. So yeah, really weird that he's friends with a high school, high school kid, 17 years old, not even 18. Marty's not even 18. So yeah, it's a little weird. I want to know how the doc got his hands on a DeLorean in such wonderful shape. When you're well, I mean, is there, is that really the big question compared to the plutonium from the Libyan nationalists? No, they were Libyans. So uh, apologies to anyone of Libyan ancestry, but um, no, it's like when I first watched the movie, I didn't think it was that big of a deal because I didn't know what the fuck plutonium was. I was Ah. eight years old. I was just like, oh, "Oh, it's like a red piece of glass. Whatever. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could find plutonium somewhere like a church or something. Stained glass windows everywhere. No idea what plutonium was. And so when I first watched the movie, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't know what nuclear meant. So, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of naiveness when I was watching it in my youth. But um, that if you have that question of where do you get the DeLorean as opposed to, you know, shacking up with a a bunch of Libyan nationalists and and selling them a bunch of old pinball machine parts. I I don't know, man. You're thinking you want to know why I have that question? The DeLorean was a stupid, expensive car in the 80s. It was $10,000 more expensive than a Corvette. It was like it was like a 70000 in today's like money. It was like a $75,000 car. How much was plutonium? I, I don't know, but the, <laughs> the, he didn't buy it. He traded it. I know. No, Did he trade pinball parts for a DeLorean in mint condition? That then he just put all these parts in. That that is, I mean, you bring up a good point. Um, I know there's a whole, and we're not going to go down the rabbit hole. Even though the, the, the DeLorean itself, the DeLorean itself is a character. Oh, right? and, absolutely! But it doesn't make sense that he's got a DeLorean as a time machine, because how long would you say it probably took him to build the time machine? Let's just go there. Ooh. I mean, with a genius intellect like Doc Brown's and his creativity and I don't know. I mean, well, so he first came up with the theory of time travel in 1955. Mm -hmm. And so 30 years later, he has the time machine. So could you say that's 30 years? But the DeLorean didn't come out until 1981. Sure. So for him to have a fully functioning DeLorean time machine by 1985 means he must have built the parts like separate of the yeah. car, not knowing the size and weight of the thing that he was going to put through the space time continuum. I mean, is the vehicle that important or is it just the parts? The vehicle makes this movie. If I this movie, that. you can't make this movie without the car. They're literally, what, what are you going to, you can't do a phone booth. Bill and Ted did it. You can't, I, I don't know what you could do to make this movie as, as accessible as it is. It's got to be the car. It's not about the DeLorean itself. You just need a mode of transportation. And so it just happens to be a DeLorean for this movie. And they ponied up a, a nice hefty sum of money, I'm assuming, to, to make that happen. But yeah, I, that, DeLorean is a character in itself and very temperamental. Um, It's 
gone through hell throughout the entire franchise and everything. But uh, yeah, I actually forgot to to think of that as a character. So yeah, that 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 was an obsession back in the day, and I don't think that any any cars stood up to that for a long time until I actually like saw DeLorean and got to like be close and realized like it is the most inconvenient car on the planet. Like the windows don't open. There's just a little slot. Like it's, it's, it's small and I'm not. So it's just, it just seems like the worst car. And they had all these like reliability issues, the temperamental thing spot on apparently for the DeLorean (laughs) owners out there. Um, you but, can't even park the car next to other cars because then you can't open the doors. The gull wings, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Elon Musk, genius, he took care of that with his Teslas. So if it wasn't for the DeLorean, we might not have the Teslas with those. Designs. Oh, guaranteed, we wouldn't have the Teslas. What are your thoughts on Teslas, by the way? Give or take, I, I, I so. I would be interested if I could get like a, a 90 watt battery, but knowing all of the shit Tesla does behind the scenes. And I might just by saying that get completely disqualified from buying a Tesla, but knowing the controls that they have and hearing like reading all the stuff on like Reddit about how they mess with people who have Teslas or like, like they turn off features and stuff. It's almost as bad as BMW selling a subscription for your heated seats. So I would, I would get a Tesla if it worked for me, like, you know, like if it could, if it made sense, but I, I, I need a bigger car right now. Cause little dude, but yeah, it might be a cool secondary car, but I don't know, man. They have so, a very stable genius running the show. So with the DeLorean, to get back onto the the character of the DeLorean, um, did you understand like at the end of the movie as to why it was no longer nuclear? Did I miss that? Like yeah. in my they put a Mister Fusion on the back of it. He took it to nineteen uh, uh, or 20, 2015. and it, in twenty fifteen, if you didn't know, we had small fusion things that just we put garbage in it. And a nuclear reaction would happen to get, create the 1.21 gigawatts. That's what. It, that's as simple as it is, though, right? He, he just went to the future, and that's what. Yeah, uh, that's what the thing sticking okay. out of the back that he puts the garbage in, and the, okay, the high life. That's what I, I assumed, but I was like, after all these years, did I just miss something again, or did I not watch like a deleted scene or something like that? But okay, it's Mister Fusion. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, obviously, Mr. Fusion. So yeah, easy. And then that fusion reaction absolutely changed Jennifer forever. Yeah, it did. To arguably a better Jennifer. Well, hands down a better Jennifer. Elizabeth Shue. Claudia Wells. So Claudia Wells. Uh, I can't remember if it was like a money thing or she didn't want to come back thing. Or She was or doing what? another movie. She had committed to something else. Oh, and and uh and she couldn't come back so they just replaced her ass um which i think is hilarious but the um that character is 
as important to the plot as she was because obviously marty ends up marrying her and everything it, it is kind of funny there's like zip out of there elizabeth shoe you're in but uh so funny thing is i i saw uh, a guy at the uh, tampa bay comic-con convention that i just went to over the weekend um, he was dressed up as the future marty mcfly with a the future jacket and the the nike shoes and everything it was freaking awesome mm-hmm. and then i turned to his wife and she was dressed up identically to jennifer which is awesome so that was a that was a really cool little little uh cosplay right there the like, question is did he have the real mags or like some fake ass mags i mean they looked pretty damn legit they looked high as fuck boxy gray I mean, I mean, they made the shoes from Back to the Future. Uh, they might be the real ones. I don't know. Those are like a five thousand dollar pair of shoes. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know, but it looked pretty damn, pretty damn similar. So, how did you feel about the parents in this? <laughs> I think you got to kind of lump them together. Yeah. So, George McFly and Lorraine um very almost uh, you feel bad for Marty at the beginning of the movie when he walks into his house and his dad is just getting abused by Biff and um Biff actually you know what before we go to them uh, just because I brought it up uh Biff as a character is just freaking amazing I I wish that that actor was in more movies because I would watch anything and everything that he's in. Uh, and, and I think that he just did a wonderful job with that. And his little back and forth with McFly when he crashes his car and he's saying like, why didn't you tell me it had a blind spot? <laughs> and he's like, I spilled beer all over my jacket when they crashed into me. It's just, just, a just a complete, utter piece of shit but so funny and every time i watch the movie i chuckle and laugh at that that part where he's just this oblivious fucking buffoon but he just thinks that his shit doesn't stink and it's always someone else's fault uh so yeah i don't know i I just wanted to throw that in there about that character really quick um do you want to talk about biff really quick before we talk about george and lorraine (laughs) yeah no i don't i don't mind biff at all i i like um, I agree that that Tom Wilson being in more movies would be great for everybody, but he does a lot of voice acting now. Does he really? Like he okay. does a lot of work on Spon- he did a lot of work on SpongeBob for for the entirety of the run of that show and like some of the, the DC stuff and um he, he does a lot of voice acting and some TV work, but never really got back into movies. Um which it, it, I agree is is surprising because he um he's he's just really good. He was on Freaks and Geeks though. Okay. Which is like one of the best TV shows ever. Talk about a pool of talent. Um but yeah, no, I I think it's he started doing um voiceover work in in the 90s and just kept going. He was on Gargoyles if you remember gargoyles the the disney and he was on batman the animated series and did a lot of voices for that okay 
but yeah, no, I, I agree. I enjoy him very much. So, well, I'm sure we'll talk about Biff throughout the, the different parts of the movie and everything, but George and Lorraine went just what a bunch of depressing parents, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you got George that is just a doormat, just a flat out doormat to everyone, his kids, his wife, even who still there's a little bit of glimmer with <laughs> with Lorraine and she, she reminisces on how they met and then he starts his laugh. So I want to talk about George McFly's laugh really quick because it has gotten me through through so many moments of junior high and also high school because we would mimic that laugh and it would just cause so many, so many like just tears of joy and disrupted so many classes just because of it. So in, um, in junior high, there was a kid that had that exact laugh. And, okay, it wasn't an exact laugh, but it was very similar. Very similar to George McFly. And we would do that laugh out of nowhere to just disrupt the class. And everyone would just, just die laughing. And then the kid that we were kind of making fun of, by the way, rest in peace. Uh, he's no longer with us. Um, but at the same time, he would start laughing, and which would make us laugh even harder. And he's like, what's so funny, guys? And we would just, just die laughing. Um, nice kid. Uh, gone too soon. But it, it's, it's one of those iconic things like a McFly laugh and same thing in high school almost repeated to where there was another individual that had a George McFly laugh have you ever met anyone that had a similar laugh or in high school or junior high or college have you ever mimicked that laugh just to cause a ruckus? no no ever. no oh. you terrible bully you it's not a bully when you know who's podcasting with Biff <laughs> it's not a bullying scenario when you're making fun of a movie fictional character mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it just the kid happened to both of the kids happened to have the same laugh as george mcfly crispin glover in this part nails the awkward weirdo perfectly for one very good reason he is crispin glover is an awkward weirdo <laughs> he didn't even come back for the third movie the reason that the ancestor looked like michael j fox had to play his ancestor is because crispin glover would not come back well he didn't come back for the second one either he didn't come yeah, back for no they just used yeah they, well who played upside down george in back to the future 2 i thought um, crispin glover was there for that no crispin glover is very like he still to this day um he's pretty sour about how all that went down mm. and so he imagined or uh, not imagined he wished for more money and they were like nope nope recast and so there's this big uh dispute with him and the studios because instead of actually recasting him they made another actor uh with facial prosthetics look like him so to him, 
it was a violation of using his likeness. And so he went after the movies um, or the producers or whoever was in charge of all that stuff. So uh, that's still, you can probably see some like YouTube videos of him uh, discussing that. Uh, he's not a big Back to the Future fan just because of that. He well, felt that he got the shaft. I mean, look how many people got the shaft out of this movie, right? Um, knowing that Michael J. Fox was not the original Marty McFly. That was Eric Stoltz. Eric yeah. Stoltz. Good old Eric Stoltz mask boy. And, and then and then you dump Jennifer. And oh, we dumped George too. I mean, Tom Wilson was just like, man, they're just whatever, man. I'm here. All the money went to Christopher Lloyd and, and Michael J. Fox because that's where it should have went when they're 90% of the movie. They were, I mean, heart and soul, right? Uh, it's hard to imagine those movies without them. But at the same time, George McFly and, and you know, obviously just uh, Leah Thompson was in the other two movies, but George McFly, uh, Crispin Glover. I mean, you can't not think of that movie you know how many times have you heard like hello mcfly anybody home all the time all the time of course all you, the have. Time. you know the, the people listening that are younger now if they haven't heard that they're missing out they haven't lived so i don't think a lot of young people are listening it's okay they know uh, they yeah. know we, we've got a pretty good older demographic we so. understand our demographic it's yeah which, by the way, uh, there are a few other additional international listeners. So those in Germany, uh, don't know how you found us, but hey, thanks for the listen. So thank you. But um, yeah, what about Leah Thompson as Lorraine? What, what was your opinion on her? I, I liked Leah Thompson in this movie and in the series. Um, I can't think of anything else I've ever liked Leah Thompson in. Caroline in the City? Never not a big fan no i'm gonna have to pass on i may have watched like three episodes of that just because i didn't have cable when i was younger so i was stuck to whatever's on abc nbc cbs and fox so Uh, yeah no i can't i can't really think of anything else that i've liked her and she was in she was in like some yeah, no, some Muppet stuff, some Howard the some Duck, real bad. Yeah, no, that's what fucked her whole career up. No way, she got this after Howard the Duck, didn't she? Uh, did she? I want to say so. Yeah, or at least she shot at least the other two movies after Howard the Duck. No, Back to the Future came out in '85. Howard the Duck in '86, with Back to the Future Part Two in '89 and '90. So they brought her back, and in in Back to the Future Two. They really just put ridiculous makeup on her and, 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 you know, just, just fucked with her a lot. Um, I mean, at that point, you know, she was like, I'll come back for nothing. She also was like a background actress in Dennis, the menace and the Beverly hillbillies and the little rascals and stuff after that. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, never, never in red Dawn or anything like that. Like at red Dawn was before all this. Yeah. Um, and fun fact about um, she was in the original Jaws 3D, which made the 3D Jaws joke and Back to the Future 2 really funnier. 
I that was the worst Jaws movie ever. I freaking hate anything but the first Jaws movie was the worst Jaws movie ever. Second one wasn't terrible. It's fine. But Jaws 3D, that one really screwed the pooch right there. Even my son, we were watching that and he's like, why does that look so weird? (laughs) It's like, if you're not getting past a six-year-old, he was six at the time when we watched it, there's something wrong, man. But But to be fair. Though for Jaws 3D, Dennis Quaid, Louis Gossett Jr. Wait, Iron Eagle? Are you talking yeah. about Iron Eagle? Oh, or... oh. <laughs> we could talk about Iron Eagle, buddy. Me and my Walkman will talk about Iron Eagle all day long. Iron Eagle. I know there's like 17 of them, but I never watched any of them. So First one. The second one, I believe, is basically the exact same movie. <laughs> and then they start doing air shows. So who knows? But yeah. Um, this is the first of many movies in the 80s to have an unruly teen and an aged uh, uh, benefactor and leader to, to take him through some things. Uh, some of them involve going back to the future and not banging your mom. Other of them uh, um, have to do with military incursions. It was a trend in the 80s. Why do you think that was? Do you think it was just because they wanted big name actors which christopher lloyd wasn't necessarily a big name actor but i don't know christopher lloyd was on taxi before this i mean christopher lloyd was on tv just as famous as michael j fox yeah i guess i guess but i'm just wondering like what the what the logic was behind that or if it was just like did people just like writing scripts like that and just they just (laughs) made more movies in the 80s man you didn't have as much pay tv Everybody went to the theater on the weekend or whatever, right? Like if you if you wanted to do something, you went to the theater so they could release a new couple movies every week and people would just go. I don't know what think about back before you could buy like first day tickets on your phone. You'd have to go to the theater, buy the tickets. I still laugh at the people that go to a theater and and walk up to the the ticket counter and like, hmm, what movie should I go see? Like do you not own the internet on your phone? Is it 1985? Like, seriously, I don't <laughs> What's understand. What's going on here? I mean, I get it. Maybe, maybe if there's like senior citizens and they want to go see a movie, totally get it. But anytime I see someone under the age of 40 walk up to the ticket counter, I'm just thinking like, wow, are they poor like, do they not have anything in terms of, of a cell phone or anything like that? I just feel like it's crazy. Or, or, and I, I might understand this. I might understand this. They're just like, fuck that. I don't want to play a processing fee by buying my ticket online. So I kind of understand that. But I didn't even know there was a processing fee there, Biff. Oh, yeah. Why are you bullying old people, Biff? I will bully as many old people as I, I didn't can. know this about you, that you're such an angry young bully. I, I didn't oh. know making fun of someone in terms of their financial status was bullying. I don't know. I just... Man, you're going to find a big <laughs> old stack of manure in your car in a couple of days, man. Uh, that's awesome. Mm. Uh, so speaking of shit, uh, let's talk about the brother and the sister of Marty. Uh, I <laughs> The completely useless beginning and end characters, like, oh, we have bookend characters. 
You see him at the beginning. You see him at the end. They have no impact except they're in a little picture and they disappear and reappear. Yeah, that's the one thing that's that makes them important, right? Because really, it doesn't matter about them. And I do I do find it really charming in the fact that they start off in the movie as like, you know, Dave works at McDonald's. And I, I can't remember what's the sister's name. Um, whatever. Sister is talking about how she'll never have a boyfriend. And then at the end, she's, uh, you know, the, the tables kind of turn to where she's like getting phone calls left and right. And she can't tell if it was Craig or Greg that called her. And um, I thought that was funny. I thought that was a really cute ending to to two characters that really just looked like losers at the beginning of the movie. And then they turn it around just based off of Marty's actions and their mom and dad's actions. And the well, that was four, right? Because it wasn't just uh, George and Lorraine. It was Linda and Dave, too. Was it Linda? It was Linda. It was Linda. Wow. Listen, Linda. Um, let me ask you a question, though. Was Marty the youngest? Yeah. So here's the real question. If you th- if you're at the dance and oh Marty, that's a great name. How was the firstborn not Marty? Where mm. does Dave come from? So all right. That wasn't the, the, the grandpa's name or the dad's name. It wasn't the jailbird's name. Where so, did they get Dave and Linda before Marty? All right. I'm glad that you brought this up because I want to talk about um, some plot holes. So that being one of them, um, I never really thought of that one. So you brought up a, a really good point. So I, I really like that. And um, so, yeah, you would think that that would be the case. My plot hole is the whole Biff, the Biff situation, how he becomes like a, a car detailing guy at the end. So am I led to believe that Biff was in on it or he just became so submissive because George knocked him out. Like I'm so confused by that as to what Biff, what he actually is at the end of that movie. He was, he was a a car mobile detailer because he did such a good job getting the shit out of his car. No, no, no. I I get that. I get the irony I think that it ended up being a situation where George knocked him out and he started having to like not bully George. George stopped doing all of his work. So he had to go into business for himself, just wiping up cars. Remember Biff was his boss and was like getting, but now, now George is the boss because of my knuckle sandwich. Right. But, didn't it seem like they like Marty wasn't even a factor as to why George and Lorraine had their success and, and their lives turned out the way they did. That's how well, it looked like to me. Marty gave him a pep talk. He, he was, he was his, uh, you know, who's his hype man a little bit, but I mean, the jobs that they had at the end were completely different, right? Like George was an author. He wasn't like a, uh, whatever he, he wasn't an office worker or Biff's employee and Biff didn't work it professionally either. Right. So completely changed their careers um, by the end of it. Right. Butterfly effect in it. But I think that Marty built up George's, you know, confidence a little bit. Right. 
Yeah, in in the time that he was there with him. Totally agree. I completely understand that. But I feel like, you know, when Lorraine says this little line where it's like, well, if it wasn't for Biff, we wouldn't be married. Really? Well, yeah, if Biff didn't try and rape her and yeah, he didn't that's, beat the that's shit the out of That's the reason him. why you got married is because he tried to rape you. And if, hey, I'm so glad he did that because, you know, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be married. You know, that doesn't make any sense to me. So it's the whole blind it really aspect. Was, remember when you beat Biff's ass? That was great. Everybody told you you should run for class president. That's yeah. who I want. The unhinged nerd guy that peeps into people's windows and punches random guys in the face. That's presidential material in 1955. But I, I think you're missing my 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 viewpoint on it. The, it almost as acts as if Marty never went back there and he's not the reason why they are the way they are. Well, it wasn't Marty. It was Calvin. They called him Marty. They called him Calvin. Marty. The doc called him Marty. They called him Calvin. When was the last time you watched this movie? Today. They called him Marty. Not then, no. Yeah. They called him Marty. I mean, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. They call him Marty. She Did calls him dad? Calvin because of his underwear. Right, but doesn't she keep calling him Calvin? And then the dad calls him Marty. Yeah, so they call him Marty though at the, and and even at the end of the dance, just like, thanks Marty, and, and you know they say Marty to his face. Directly. George does. Lorraine doesn't. Yeah, but she still knows. No, she knows his name. She knows his name. I mean, if you want to make a bet right now, I'll make a bet I, right dude, now. Either way, what does that matter? That's the whole reason why George became who he was is because of Marty, not because of Biff. At the end of the movie, I'm saying they don't even acknowledge or even say anyone. You know what? There's also a person named Marty, and that's the reason why we named you. You know, that there's not even any type of acknowledgement or no. It, it's it's almost as if it just blips out. As to well, do you oh, talk about your wife's ex-boyfriend or the dude that your wife was trying to bone back in the day? No. So they just forgot about Marty. They forgot about Calvin, the dude who was reason. That, that got hit with the car that that she was trying to jump and that uh, Biff knocked out and then George knocked out Biff. He lost the Royal Rumble for Lorraine, buddy. He was an afterthought. Dude. Biff that's was why he didn't use part. that's why his name wasn't used first because he was an afterthought once again biff was a small part of that he just had if anything what was really the the turning point to it is when george goes back and pushes the ginger on the dance floor and then kisses lorraine well he pushes the ginger because if i can knock out biff i could take this soulless ginger we're fine we're right. fine which what, who who had the idea for him to do that? Marty. Marty, because the original plan was he was gonna knock out Marty. You're playing. You're ex, you're explaining exactly as to why Marty is the more important person as opposed to Biff. Again, at some point they decided not to talk about it, or they realized that Marty was their kid, and they 
they don't want to mess with the space-time continuum. And they had a talk and said, listen, we can't talk about this. I just set the rug on fire. Shut up. Or the the writers were just like, fuck, we can't even talk about him in the end here. So let's just say that Biff did it. Did everything. That's the way they make it seem. It is what it is, man. There's no perfect movie, but this is damn close. Stop ruining Back to the Future. you're the one who came up with the argument that Biff was more important, which he wasn't. That's the, that's, I'm just saying, calling it how I see it. But um, I want to talk about the music about this movie. Um, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? I do, only because of this movie. It's uh, the reason why I like Huey Lewis in the news is because of American Psycho. So that's why I wanted to say that, ask that question of it. But um, yeah, dude. This is such a banging soundtrack. Um, it's a it's a really good one. A lot of fun music, and and yeah, Huey Lewis in the news did the entire thing, if I'm not mistaken, right? I mean, most of it, yeah, most of it, except for you know the the Back to the Future theme and stuff like right, that. He didn't right. write that, which that um, also iconic. is amazing. You know, I yeah. I told my wife this is probably one of the best film soundtracks of all time. Yes. And she's like, of all time. And I was like, I think so. I mean, yeah, it's pretty great. You've got popular music that became almost as iconic as the the score. I mean, when you hear those songs, you automatically think of Back to the Future. It's true. And from the, the score aspect of it, it's just a fun and lively score throughout the entire music and even like those those calm little little moments uh, after he gets hit by the car and everything like that even that that nice little slow tone of everything is like wow that's memorable i will remember that out of any freaking movie any day of the week so um yeah perfect 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 uh huey lewis uh i thought that was pretty cool as well too and and I'm curious as to if if they could have used another band for the music in the movie. Who do you think could have done it and it would have still been as memorable and, and lasting such as Huey Lewis in the news? Before I answer that question, I want to ask you if you know who the composer of the non-Huey Lewis music was. So, oh my God, I, I know this. I know this. You're gonna have to tell me because I, I know the name. Um, it's Alan Silvestri. Silvestri. Yeah, Silvestri. Okay. Who also did the Captain America movies, Forrest Gump, Polar Express, like Endgame. He did all of that background music too. Did I? Uh... Sylvester didn't do Captain America, did he? Yeah. I thought that was Henry Jackman. Nope. He was the composer for Captain America. I am going to disagree. I'm pretty sure for the second and the third, maybe Sylvester for the first one. He did the first one. Okay. All right. Yeah, he did Uh, the first one. And then he also did the Avengers as well, too. So. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, he's another freaking done. I, uh, it was at the tip of my tongue. I, I knew who it was, but at the same time, I was just like, 
when I'm in Huey Lewis in the news mode, I, I can't think of anything else. Can you blame me? I mean, come on. I uh, probably can <laughs> blame you. Uh, well, Patrick Bateman and an American Psycho wired me differently. So, oh man. So let's get back to your question about who could fill in for Huey Lewis in the news. And I think that there's a few options from 1985. You know, there's a couple bands that could do it. Um, But with that type of sound. I don't know. Tears for Fears. um, Dire Straits. Melon Camp. I have a hate hate relationship the talking with heads yeah. you would hate talking heads does not sound anything like robert or um uh huey lewis mm. i was gonna say robert palmer might have a, a similar sound to that but huey lewis had a, a very different sound compared to a lot of 80s bands so it was definitely more rock oriented um whereas talking heads a little bit more of the yeah but you know what i mean so tears for fears would work though possibly yeah yeah Yeah. um i think the police were broken up by then maybe they also were more reggae it's true it's true but that's what like that's one of the things that i wait wait so you know the top single of 1985 was right and i'm wondering if this band would work Lay it on me. The Billboard year and number one single of 1985 was Careless Whisper by Wham. <laughs> I love Could Wham have gotten no. us back to the future? No, not at I all. I mean, they'd wake you up before you, you could just take the whole first scene with the alarm clocks. Wham, it's uh, happening. No, I will say no to that oh man as much as i love some wham and that clip in zoolander um no can't do it man but it threw some throw some careless whisper in there at the um at the very end maybe yeah sure you you throw careless whisper in when he wakes up in his mom's room (laughs) just just make it even more weird but but the thing about that for the music and especially in this movie though it was you know the Mr. Sandman, you know that that it was such a good well, setup. Like that the was the 1955 the movies. Yeah, the the music for the time, um, but then also at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance uh, as the band's playing Earth Angel. Like even that rendition of the song is fantastic. Like every single piece of the music of of that movie was fantastic, and so uh, Marvin Berry. Uh, I'm not sure if Marvin was actually singing that particular song, but um, really great. Yeah, Marvin sang after he cut his hand. He was only singing. I meant like, you know, the actual actor, if if he was the one that was actually singing. Oh, like Michael J. Fox did not either play guitar or sing? Michael J. Fox played the guitar. He did absolutely not. He did. You know, he's actually played... Earth Angel with Coldplay on stage as well. They brought Michael J. Fox on the stage. Uh, did he play it? Oh, I just found a YouTube clip. 
of him playing with somebody that I'm going to watch after this. Yeah, he can play. Of him playing Johnny B. Good. If he really played that, that was, that's impressive. I mean, if you take a look at his It wasn't his voice. No, it wasn't his voice. I mean, that was like, I don't know, Steve Winwood or <laughs> Michael Winwood? Michael McDonald or someone. I don't know. But like, <laughs> it could have been Michael McDonald. He was <laughs> definitely wasn't Michael J. Fox. But uh, no, uh, music's fantastic. I, I don't know how they could have made that soundtrack any better. Um, even though I, I'm not like a, a big Huey Lewis and the News fan, this movie made me a fan of it because like, I only like songs. three Huey Lewis songs and two of them are in here. The songs just hit so good. It's so good. Yeah. Might be the best movie soundtrack and best musical score. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It's definitely better than the second movie we'll talk about today. What about, um, so the time period, we, we talked a little bit about the 50s, like the accuracy of the music, um, but even just like the outfits, the way that people interacted with each other, uh, the 50s diner, uh, milkshake popularity, and just it's, it's just so funny. And um, I, I thought they did very well with those characters. What did you feel that the time period in the 80s uh, did that hit as accurate as what you would think it would be because it was filmed in the 80s or did you do you even remember that at all I, I i when i was watching it today i was looking at because i've done the backlot tour at universal in california and like take you through it obviously the clock tower is not there anymore they, they they've filmed a million things there right and and i think the thing that always amazed me about that movie is it literally all was backlot shot like the whole town is a backlot and it's built around the town square and it's all there it's either backlot shots um or interior shots most of the time back to the future they did the high school um but i i didn't i didn't have a problem with it like i it, nothing stood out to me it was a it was a city that was run down a little bit you know like in the 80s which you know a lot of small towns from the fifties were run down a little in the eighties. You know, it was that change of the guard kind of thing. So I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was funny. The only thing that, that, that I thought was weird is he had this little baby skateboard and nobody had a problem with him grabbing onto their bumper. Didn't even the police. Didn't you want to do that? I totally wanted to do that, but I could not skateboard to save my life. And that would have ended my life if I would have ever done that. But like, how is nobody like, yo, how about no? Yeah. How did the cops, what kind of Mickey Mouse police squadron did they have that didn't notice that they were towing somebody? Well, he was ducking, to be fair. Oh, yeah, no. Ducking in a bright red vest. If you duck behind the car, they're not going to be able to see it, which... Mm. You absolutely shouldn't do, but because cars know. in this movie all have a blind spot. So I think it's safe to say that we both really enjoy this movie. There's a reason that it's classified as one of the most perfect movies ever made, and why it was so easy to make two sequels that followed the exact same uh, just notes because it was pretty damn perfect. It's like it the Hanukkah song, you just can keep <laughs> doing it all day. So with all that being said, 
And and we could probably go on talking about Back to the Future for uh, innumerous hours. But Dan, would you say you could do this movie all day? I can do this all day, and I have done this all day in my childhood, in my prepubescence, in my post-college years, into my full adulthood. So yeah, I mean, really, in my opinion, I never really thought of it as my favorite movie. But when it comes down to how many hours I've watched it, um, how many times I've referenced it in high school, screaming out 121 point gigawatts for no fucking reason, other than the fact to just yell it out because it's funny and hilarious. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I definitely can confidently say I can do this all day. And it's something that I look forward to really exposing my kids to and hoping they enjoy it as much as I do. What about you, Mark? Can you yeah. do this all day? No, I can. I can. I think it's funny that you, I, I'd never consider this my favorite movie. And, you know, when somebody asked me like top five, top 10, it's not one that like immediately jumps out as it should be in there, but it probably should. It probably should because it, it literally is a perfect movie and you never turn it off. You always feel good when you're done watching it. You always want to watch the next one. And, and yeah, no, I like it. It's, it is one of three that uh, that I will uh, treasure for a long time. It makes you think, though, too, because what is technically someone's favorite movie? Is it something that they've watched the most? Is it something that they they just really struck them from an emotional point of view? And, you know, maybe they might not be able to watch it all the time because they want to save each and every one of those moments to be like, oh, yes, this is why it's my favorite movie. I don't know, man. Like I, I always make that comparison to food to where my favorite fruit is strawberries, but I eat grapes a shitload of the time and probably in the metric tons more than strawberries. So is it my favorite fruit? I don't know. I don't think so. But no matter what, in terms of Back to the Future, uh, this particular movie, uh, I think it just really hits home and there's a few little scenes where it, it might not be as um, striking that emotional chord uh, compared to other movies out there but at the same time it just makes you feel good and that's why i can do it all day i can't argue with you i think if there's one thing that we've uncovered during this podcast experience uh, uh through all of our episodes for those of you that have listened to all of our episodes all like three of you um I think that we've realized that there are some movies that our feelings change about over the years. And there are some movies that, that hold a constant. And I would say that the back to the future holds a constant for me. Well said. So we both can do this all day. I think it's to continue on with this retro rewind to your pick. And Mark's pick is arguably the best Star Trek movie, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. I was all for this pick because I have never seen this. Um, and I just recently watched the Star Trek remake uh, where Khan was a, a plot point in this. And it got me super excited and very curious. And because the podcaster and movie lover in me has not seen this before, I thought, you know what? 
before I turn 40, I'm going to watch this movie because I've heard nothing but good things about it. And here we are. So, Mark, why don't you lead this discussion? Well, it, it, people will be like, why did you pick a Star Trek movie to represent the 80s? And for many reasons. One, because it's 40 years old now and still holds up, I think, holds up well enough. And to your point, it, 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 it has been referenced back to it probably is the most popular, um, at least of the original. I don't want to mess with all the Next Generation fans out there that'll be mad at me. Um, but of the original Star Trek movies is by far the best. And it it is super fan servicey if you if you have watched like any of the original the original series. Plus it is way better than the first one. This is one where the sequel way outdid the first one. I don't know if you've ever seen the first Star Trek movie. Don't bother. It's so bad. It's so bad. They just they just tried to do too much. Um but I got to ask you a few things before we get into this, Dan. You mentioned you were excited to watch this. Was Star Trek in your rotation as a kid in any form or any any crew that you enjoyed? No. So Star Trek was never in my rotation. I would tolerate watching the show because, once again, my childhood, I did not have cable. So... WFLD Fox it was and you know after a certain time only so many shows were on uh, so it was like between MASH and Star Trek and um, yeah so I, I kind of watched it because what else was I going to do as a kid I couldn't play Nintendo all day so um, one of the things was yeah I checked out a few episodes and my brother really liked Star Trek and um, you know I you know it's it just wasn't my thing star wars definitely my thing in my rotation no um my curiosity as i get older yeah i'm i was like i gotta check it out you know was this like og crew next generation um so i would say that i watched next generation more um and the very first movie that i saw that was star trek was Actually, it wasn't Next Generation, now that I think about it. I saw the the one with the whale uh, where they travel back in time. Oh, uh, the third part of the Wrath of Khan trilogy. Yes, what what we'll is that? We'll, we'll talk about it. This movie, it kicked off three consecutive movies mm. that all plot intertwined like directly after each other, which I thought was was new at the time. Like You never saw movies unless they were like Back to the Future movies. Um, that that like started when the other one ended. So it was like episodic movies. Yeah, no, these okay. were three episodic movies because they came out so so long after the original series had been canceled. 1969 is okay. when the original Star Trek series was canceled. January of 1969. Okay. Um, for me, it was just one of those things where I had heard that it was really great i mean eddie murphy had a stand-up special where he said star trek is just good shit you know he called it out on his, his special where he like how he enjoyed it and how captain kirk would just sleep with every species it didn't matter what right so i was curious but like it just didn't grab my attention and so naturally i liked and and i think 
you know, as a child, I think you're going to gravitate towards one or the other, Star Wars or Star Trek. And I just happen to gravitate towards Star Wars. I'm surprised because the thing that gravitated most of us towards Star Wars were the toys, right? And you, I know, no Star Wars toys for Danny. True. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot to dig into with this, but I just want to start with with the cast because I, I I thought that this movie was kind of a kind of a victory lap at the beginning and just hit a lot of nostalgia. And I loved the way they introduced people. So starting in the beginning of the movie, when they bring Shatner in, do you enjoy Shatner as Kirk? Like what's your, as the main character, does he hold up for you? I think he's just campy, eccentric. And I've seen the shitty fight with the lizard man way too many times. And um, I can't take him seriously. And the fact that he's played a caricature of himself in every performance since then, even in Boston Legal, the TV show where um, I actually really liked his character, he was a caricature of himself. He was great in it, but couldn't take the guy seriously. So, um, yeah, James T. Kirk, uh, it just not my not my captain or admiral in this case. I was surprised to see that he was an admiral. Yeah, normally when you're when you're fighting lizard people, you don't get promoted. But, you know, uh, uh, yeah, like 10 years, 12 years after you get out of the out of the captain's chair or when you get canceled, you come back as an admiral. <laughs> what about the original cast? I'm a big fan of the original cast and the, the, the contributing actors, right? Nimoy, um, you know, DeForest Kelly is as McCoy, um, Scotty, James, James Doohan. I, I love that guy. That guy is so underrated. And then Walter Coing and Michelle Nichols, uh, RIP. Um, I, I think that all of these are, are quality crew members. But what about you? Um, no, they're great. And you forgot George Dakai. So, um, yes, they're, they're all great. Uh, but I just thought Kirk was too campy. And maybe it's because I had seen him as that caricature of himself later on prior to watching Star Trek, like, you know, getting more deep into some of the Star Trek episodes, which, by the way, I didn't get too deep in. I don't remember shit. I just remember he fucked a green chick and he slow motion karate chopped the lizard. So um, here's the real question. Did you watch the con episode of the original series? No, no. So that's something that I didn't get. So I, I just assume like, I hope that there was something before this that kind of built up to this plot because no idea who the fuck he was. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll get to Ricardo in a moment, but did you have a favorite? I know your George Takei impression is on point. Do you have a favorite (laughs) member of the supporting cast? I would say that Spock, Leonard Nimoy as Spock was great. And Scotty was just, you you liked the impersonations of everyone uh, or impersonations of Scotty that everyone did. So everyone said be me of Scotty, but also at the same time, you know, they, they did the whole, I've given it all you got, Captain. You know, it's just, it's funny. 
So those would be my two. And it has nothing to do with like their acting. Um, it was just, I like the dude with the ears that could pinch someone and they could pass out. And I like the funny Scottish guy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. Yeah. It's fair. I think in this movie, um, you know, obviously uh, Leonard Nimoy gets, gets, you know, his due and his lead piece and through, through the next two after this, he gets good play, but I think all of them, man, I, I just like, I don't know why it's a nostalgic thing for me and I'll, I'll watch the, you know, these and enjoy the original crew almost more than sometimes the, like the next generation crew outside of those two though, I can't do any other star Trek. Like it's too much for me. There's a lot, there's too man. many variations. Yeah. I mean, I've watched enough star Wars to balance, but man, so many variations, but this is the classic speaking of variations. You got another Vulcan, another person with pointy ears in this movie. How did you, did you know, or were you shocked? I think I remembered, but it didn't connect. And it's been so long since Kirstie Alley has been very relevant. And, you know, it's been how many years since Fat Actress? I think that was her show, right? Where it was um, around her. But um, yeah, you know what? I, I need to ask you a question. They refer to her as Mr. Savick. Is there, am I missing something in, in regards to why they refer to her as Mr. Savick? It's they they don't have genders. They just are they're the future. No, seriously. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. They refer to officers in with the, the male the male uh really? Yeah. I thought it was like a Vulcan thing that I just wasn't aware of. Cause I there's like at least it could five be that times. I honestly made that up. I'll be honest. I, I bullshitted okay. you on that one. I, I could be completely wrong. I don't know. I think that they played it off as a, as a futuristic respect thing. That's the way I always took it, but it could be completely different. Have you ever um, heard them say like Mr. Uhura? No. So that's why no. I was curious. I was like, hmm, I don't, I've never heard that before. No, you know what? There are people out there that know. Maybe they're listening to this podcast. Maybe they could, in the comments, they could tell us. Maybe they could send us an email just ripping us on our Star Trek knowledge and our bias towards, towards, uh, you know, anything else, but Star Trek, but for, hey. for the record too, I would not consider myself a Star Trek fan. I appreciate some of the shows, some of the movies, but I am not a Trekkie. So I mean, I think that was pretty obvious when I, when I was yeah. talking about it earlier. I'm, I'm an appreciator of the eighties and nineties versions of this, right. But I am nowhere near as deep into star Trek as I'm into star Wars, but I appreciate it. I like the campiness of, of uh, Shatner and I enjoy Patrick Stewart, but yeah, no, like I've, I'm, I've watched the first season of Picard and I haven't caught up yet. I'm really like, I paid for Paramount just to catch up. Still haven't like prioritized it, but huh. I love Patrick Stewart. Um, so those two things keep me in and, but yeah, no, you know, what's really funny about this and Kirstie Alley being in this movie, she was in this movie before cheers. This is her third acting credit overall and her top build acting credit on IMDb. She did so well in it. I don't remember her from any other movies. Look who's talking. I meant star Trek movies. Oh, you know, <laughs> no, it's funny. Okay. Funny story about that. They replaced her with somebody else in the next timeline sequel. The same, same character, same character, still Savick, 
but they they use somebody else. I wonder, because I wonder she if they referred to her as Miss Savick. Oh, no, I wonder. Mr. Savick was consistent. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. I feel like but, you're making that up too, but okay. no, I've watched all three of them. Okay. Um, all right, cool. Multiple. T- this is one where I like. I watch. I watch one. And like, oh, I should watch the next one. Eh, I should probably watch the next one. It's like Back to the Future. You get in that loop. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, um. Kirstie Alley as a as a nice surprise. Then the man, the myth, the legend, Ricardo Motoban coming in as Khan. Where were you on this guy? I, I didn't know anything about him. I thought he played the character well. Very eccentric. Um, a lot of man cleavage. So he was very deep V's. Yeah. So, um, no, 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 no. I mean, he, he was intriguing. And so I was like, okay, I went into this knowing that Khan is the best motherfucker out there. And so I was curious, like, okay, cool. Well, he sounds like he's playing the part right now. Um, he's got some weird little caterpillars that go in your ears. So, okay. So he's got some of the, the nice little pets to take control and, and mind control and do that weird shit you know, the eighties thing. So I was like, okay, all right. So I'm so far I'm into it when his first scene comes in. So just backstory, right. And not much backstory. I've watched it once and it was probably like five or six years ago at this point or longer. There is an original series episode where they, and and they give a great synopsis. I think in the movie about, they found Khan's ship to drift it was a drift for many years because it had broken down. He was a, a genetic engineering experiment from, you know, the, the late nineties, early two thousands, because, you know, it was 1960 something when they made the show and, and introduced the character. Um, and he was like genetically engineered as the perfect human. And there were bio wars and he was exiled because he lost and they find him and he tries to take over the enterprise. And then they just, they, they, take away the ship and maroon him on what is SETI Alpha 5, right? That they talk about, but they didn't know that. And and they explain in the movie, right? That it shifted and now it's a desert with the special caterpillars. But this is such a huge, for me, this is the first sci-fi movie I can remember, chronologically, that goes full on like fan service. They took a big bad from the series, his ship, everything, right? The Botany Bay references, the whole thing, and laid it on the big screen. You never see stuff go from small screen to big screen as a baddie reference, especially in the early 80s. This was made in 82, 40 years ago now. But uh, again, this isn't that that era. It's not now where there's cross-references and references everywhere. There is so much fan service in this from the Romulan ale to the old books that Kirk likes to read. It's just, it's, it's such a, that I loved about this movie and the big bad, especially. So that being said though, I'm almost super confused as to how this movie did well, because you've got a TV tie-in. And I mean, did every every Trekkie 
just come out of the woodwork to watch this? Um, and how is it that all the critics and everyone else rated it so high? Because there's so many things that are contingent on understanding the TV show. Um, I like I've said this before on previous episodes where I, I understand how people who watch Marvel movies now feel because they just don't get who that person is or where they came from. That's kind of how I was with Khan. And, you know, some of the references that Chekhov made with uh, Botany Bay, Botany Bay. I was like, I guess something's dangerous. You guys know about this? I guess they'll explain it. And they, they did. They did a job of it. So I guess, but I just don't understand how it, it was that critically receptive to it. So the know. first for- one was really bad, right? The first Star Trek movie got a, a 6.4 uh, uh, IMDb rating. Um, I probably should look at Rotten Tomatoes, but Wrath of Khan got almost an eight. And I think that's because you don't need to know the full backstory to get all of the, they went back to what I would consider to be the original formula campiness a plot that that re-referenced things as you went through and they stole a great star trek or a star wars um uh uh moment so the 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 references amazing he hands them he he gives him the the dickens book at the beginning of the the movie right that's the first thing it's box present how does he end the movie with a dickens quote you go to Khan's ship and you see the old books on the shelf and stuff. And what does he do? He fucking like randomly shotguns Moby Dick quotes out there as this obsessive, crazy person, Um, you know, and then they have the, the I'm your father moment in there. Right. Because Kirk meets his son, Um, two other characters I want to touch on. Right. By the way, that was not set up well. It was not, but I, I, they brought in a character again. Like they just randomly brought it in. You told me to stay away, whatever. I I kind of thought that it was his son at first. And then oh. at the end, I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I guess I, you know, I knew that that was the case. I guess that was his son, but I don't know. It just- Which part got you? Was it the, the super tight perm fro? Was it the. They both like punch people and ask questions later. They're both angry. Like which one? Which part? No, it was just it was just the way that he said uh, to the mom. I can't remember. BB is the actress. I can't remember what her yeah, name. Carol is. Marcus. Okay, so he says like he just left you. I was like, okay, well, I guess that's a son. I mean, why else would someone be like? Why else would they be pissed off that someone left their mom? It probably is their son, but. Uh, when he, I think, you know, and it may be a little bit different for for other people when he had just said, I'm proud that you're my dad. I was like, yeah, really? Are you, are you, it's, it's like, it's nice to have good genetic material. Like that's the future for you, Dan. You don't have to, you don't have to parent your kids for them to respect you. I I will say that that guy was uh, genetically gifted as well too. The first person that i thought of was rocky from rocky horror picture show because i thought that guy was pretty pretty ripped so uh, captain kirk never ripped as a matter of fact from here on out he just gets it's fatter 
So, I mean, not, you know, as people get into our, I'm getting into my forties now. So it's like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. But at the same time, this, this kid is like, you, you better hold on to those. Uh, you know, the mom genes are, are strong with this one because he's pretty ripped. So he, um, he, he doesn't that actor, um, what's his name? Merrick Burdick or whatever. Um, strong eighties name. Yeah. Yeah. Started his acting career in the eighties, ended his acting career in the eighties. Um, with with such great movies as From the Dead of Night and Fright Night Part Two, both of which he had a single word name, Rick and Richie. When you don't get a last name anymore, it's time to hang it up, kids. Um, but fun fact, um, he was in the next uh, Star Trek Three, um, and he did make it on an episode of The Next Generation, not as his current character because spoilers he definitely gets killed in the next movie oh really okay um that's unfortunate yeah yeah oh well so we talked about how this movie has has you know went back to the original formula right the campiness the random fights the storyline that went well using all the players they also used some really great scoring in my opinion you got the star trek music and you got it loud and it was all orchestral and they did dan's favorite thing they used zero popular music (laughs) um that was one of my notes is that this score did not hit me at all there was a little bit of familiarity um at the beginning of the movie but it wasn't until the very end of the movie that i thought the score brought any type of reaction out of me. Uh, I, I just thought, yep, there's music. And so I d- it didn't, it wasn't like Back to the Future. So that was the, that was the thing for me to where, and yes, there's popular music in Back to the Future, but even the score itself, that really took you on a ride of emotion and, and really put you into the scene. This, I did not get that at all. And maybe I just missed it because I uh, it was just one of those things where like I wasn't as invested in these characters. So maybe I was trying to focus more on the characters as opposed to the music, but it didn't strike me whatsoever. So I think you're on the opposite side of the spectrum, right? I just like the Star Trek music. That's really it. Like it just it, they basically they basically repeat a similar melody in a lot of things and they'll do similar like orchestral flourishes and i just enjoy it like i I like the music and that's like there's no shame in that it's not amazing like it's not this groundbreaking thing it's the same fucking music but that's the part that wins for this for me is they stuck to the formula didn't try and be too artsy like they did in the first movie they went back to it they went back to it in in the way that they knew that fans would respond and they would continue um Correct me if I'm wrong, but the first movie score uh, was the Next Generation song, correct? The Next Generation song th- they had a different music. It was still um, the same Star Trek music. Really? Okay, because for some reason, I like rewind back to my eighth grade year. 
we actually played a song in band that was from the Star Trek movie. And unless I'm just getting super old and I'm remembering it wrong, it was the same melodic. It's the beat same. It's the as... same like. It's the same music. Oh, I yeah heard it as the next generation theme because it's this. It's it's pretty much. I think it's the same. No, no, it's different. But mm-hmm. that's why I was thinking like, weird. This is if this is from the movie Star Trek. Why are they playing the theme from the next generation? You know what? I think you're right. The, I think you're right. So it's funny that they that brought the, back the the movie score ends up being the next generation score. Yeah. Yeah. But they never play that movie score again after that first one. Right. I don't remember. Yeah, they play it. I, I don't. I, I that would be something I'd have to check. OK, I don't know. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's safe to say for me that the the score was and the soundtrack it was Star Trek, but it wasn't wowing me. So that was that was a thing. It wasn't the battles weren't contingent on the score, which it doesn't have to be, but it adds a nice element. And so was, I didn't get that. It was the great models. Speaking of the great models, how did you feel about the amazing technology of the future? Oh, the um, standard definition on the tube TV. Yes, it was amazing. Uh, I'm so glad that you know they they kept to the the 480p um, whatever that I don't even think it was 480p but uh, yeah it, it was not the best and also uh, I believe it was Chekhov's uh, cereal box outfit that was definitely <laughs> advancements in technology you know it looked totally like a it looked super portable is what it looked like because it had a handle yeah it was like a kellogg's cereal box they were like oh gosh um i don't know what they did with this budget but we need to make a costume fast like i ate cereal this morning like okay well let's just put a bunch of those together and that's what i thought that they did you know what i feel like they thought they're like man we need con to intimidate him but we can't make him choke him we'll get a bad rating wait what if we put a goddamn handle on the front of that thing and he just grabs the handle <laughs> That's genius. Get a box. Oh, man. Um, Get yeah, your Samsonite. Tech- It'll just pick up that shit. That technology, the future is horse shit. So, <laughs> oh, my God. When, when So, um, the cool one of the cool scenes at the beginning, right, is when they're getting attacked, or not the beginning, it's like the middle. When they're getting attacked by Khan, and they're like, oh, we know how to outsmart him. We'll just program and use our input to be his input. And they don't have a touch screen. They're flipping fucking switches. Like, like my iPhone has more computing power than the whole <laughs> enterprise. I mean, Jules Verne predicted shit, you know, well before his time. Like, couldn't someone in production just make something up? Like, there, there's like a brain implant. They just touch something and then all of a sudden they're linked to the ship. Anything. I just came up with it right now fucking bill me for it i put it into the next movie because you guys need some technology but it can't um, be yeah. just one person dan come on then you're uh, fucking then you're kubrick and you're 2001 you're how the but um it was i just thought the, all the switches are really funny to me i like the arbitrary red light that ran through the control board it, it just yeah. looked like like um 
those old electrical race cars where you, you, you know, if you press the trigger too hard, it just runs off the track. Well, I think they just put like a few of those with some red fluorescent tape on it. And it's like, okay, this is our control deck. This looks good. Hey, yeah. do you still have that cereal box from breakfast? Yeah, get that too. We're going to need it. <laughs> At the end of the movie, when he's setting off the Genesis device, it's these gigantic turning cylinders. It's like, bro, bro, bro. Why Why are we dialing the cylinders in? I was curious as to what that was. I was like, I hope I'm not being too facetious and like too critical about this, but that looks fucking stupid. <laughs> it was for dramatic pause. It takes time. Yeah. Yeah. I might die. I might not get it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Oh, he did it. He I'm did. surprised he didn't say like you know kind of do self uh, monologue right there to where he's saying like like first i must turn the cylinder and you know like I, i'm surprised he just like sneak in the word cylinder because that's exactly what it was and i need to engage the cylinder before it will engage like well whatever that's Dad. that's because he was too busy quoting Moby, Moby dick yeah well he should have fucking monologue that if that's the case buzz oh. lightyear does it so so should Khan. you know that's that's something where he should do it that's uh, i think that while it works for the movie situation does it <laughs> well it, it's it it creates a very unrealistic look at the future that everything's clean and clean and then works like it's the 40s yeah in all seriousness though yeah you're right like it's not a good interpretation of future technology it's just a very poor but, but I mean, in I the wasn't... 80s. You mean they still had tube TVs in the 80s? They couldn't think that, hey, you know what? There's going to be other types of video representation out there. Let's let's do something else with this. But no, but they, they couldn't. Fucking... They didn't have it to do it. Like, well, how else are they going to show that? You could still make it up, man. Mm. I like, I don't know. I'm not as mad about the tube TVs as I am just the overall. Like, uh, they made all these wires come out of everything in both <laughs> ships, right? Tilt that bitch, drop the wires, throw the smoke. There like well, they yeah. went full on. Yeah. Khan's ripply pecs had a big old scar through those things from something on that ship hitting them. Um, it was definitely, it was definitely, I, I just, I think it's so campy. It's great. I think so that here's that's something my problem. Th- here's something to think about. So you said Khan was, um, genetically engineered and he was from the 90s 2000s right mm-hmm. is Khan fabio in the future he could be he could be fabio might be and that he might be like the, the rat fabio's not smart though fabio got on a roller coaster and got hit in the face with a parrot he's not a smart man you know what man i don't know it's it's debatable to see if Khan is as smart as he is. I I thought, first of all, Ricardo Montalban in this movie is, he commits. He does. He does a great job. Commits over the top. Like, you don't get that out there of a villain without that person committing. Yeah. And I can't remember him in any other movie, and I would only assume that, much like William Shatner, he can only be Khan. Like, that's what you get. Because what did he do? He did like Love Island or something like that for Pleasure the longest. Island. Pleasure, Pleasure Island. Island. And he was the exact same person. Yeah. 
like Just, uh, he did have sweeter hair in this so yeah yeah but like it, 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 no no it's he's did the you, same guy and that's the greatest part about him did you know that like his cons cronies like his crew were like all chippendales dancers no but i read it, that somewhere to where it's just like they just got a bunch of chippendales dudes as cons um you know crew and so i, I just found that very interesting and yet con actually looked better with his with his uh man chest and uh deep v-neck to show off his man pecs so well don't fuck just, with don't fuck with ricardo yeah, man, but hey, you Chippendales, I thought that was like the thing back in the 80s, but apparently they didn't, they must have seen the guys in this movie. It's like, all right, we need to roid people up. Oh, man. You, you, but they, they, so this movie was made for 11.2, which what's that in like today's dollars, like 25? I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's, I mean, it, something like this with this much practical effects has to be on the same budget as, because practical effects were expensive, right? I mean, you got to think that the budget on this thing's pretty high, and it grossed seventy eight point nine, fourteen point three the first weekend. Like it made money, so maybe that's how they made some money. They just cut back and had some Chippendale guys. They just threw some dollar bills at them. They were good, you know. We're gonna pay you. We're gonna pay you at rate or what is it? At, I don't even know the right term because I'm not cool. Um, but, you know, they're paying them the minimum. Just stand there. One guy gets some words. The rest of you just push the pecs out, boys. Push the pecs out. But they weren't even, like, as jacked as Kirk's son. So that's why I was like, you know, uh, whatever. They were better off getting, uh, you know, Swayze and Chris Farley in the movie. And then they, they would have done just as Dude, well. Star Trek Three: the wrath of uh, the wrath of Farley. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, I, 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 I don't know. I'm a big fan of this film and I, I don't want to rip it up, but I think it's really funny the way that they did the turnabout pieces on this and the way they actually made a plot that was believable, not believable, but like kept you guessing. They had a few like what Kirk loses Kirk doesn't Kirk ends up in the cave. What's going on? Kirk didn't see this coming. Yeah. Kirk gets double crossed by by uh um uh Chekhov yeah and, and but che- they I as a first time viewer of this thought so he tells you that they were under mind control and all you say is it's okay and then nothing else you don't like check him out in med bay or anything like that or that's a get good him point to, get I've him never to even, I've never noticed that I saw this is the first time I've seen the movie and even, you know, and I wasn't trying to pick the movie apart. I was just like, well, why is he just back to duty? And like, you know, there's no interrogation. Like, they're just like, I know him. He's cool. So don't worry about it. Like, (laughs) he's my Russian dude. Yeah. Like, if anyone, don't trust the Russians, you know, just don't (laughs) trust them. God damn it. What's wrong with you guys? Oh, no. Even That's... you knew that even in the 80s. Don't trust him. It, oh, dude. Wait until you, you saw the one with the whales where he tried to get on the nuclear vessels. And then they were really going to, they really, no, that's, that's a Star Trek uh, four reference there. But, oh, 
Yeah. No, it's definitely it, it's 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 funny you say that, but I think it's yeah, it's like oh good, you're here, let's go, we'll all go yeah, together, right? Like oh, cool, we're getting the band back together. <laughs> we got our rush band, Elwood, the band. Yeah. Oh man, no, but, that's um, and then so I, I wanted to say really quick, Paul Winfield, uh, it was and the the unfortunate death. Um, I believe he was like, I can't remember what his name was, but Captain Terrell. Okay. So I knew him from Terminator and that's the reason I was like, oh man, this guy's awesome. So hopefully he plays a good part of this. He sucked. He's so bad. I left him out of the cast list recap for this. Like (laughs) our outlines, I didn't even mention. I was just like, nah, if Danny wants to bring up the guy from Terminator, he will. Uh, And I did. Damn it. I did. (laughs) Paul Winfield predictable as always friend of the podcast paul winfield <laughs> oh is that guy now Probably i don't know bad. i hope I he's i think we need to uh just want to by the way out. too since we're, we're talking about the characters so r.i.p michelle nichols she, uh, we are shooting this on the week of her passing and um yeah so just wanted to uh, show a little bit of love for her and appreciation. Uh, she was very strong character, uh, and you know she she continued to work well into her years. And uh, just re- I believe she was just on a uh, she was voicing uh, an Uhura descendant or you know something in in a Star Trek um, project. So, yeah, no, yeah. talk about an actress who. Who, who paved the way for so many things that we see today. First interracial kiss on television was Ohura and Kirk. Like yeah. it, 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 that's, that's a, that's a good call out. Michelle Nichols, huge, huge uh, presence, even though she, she didn't get a ton of opportunity outside of Star Trek, man, did she do service to the fans? Did she always show up for things? Did she represent in a big way? Yeah. And um, fun fact, she is from Robbins, Illinois, uh, and, and Robbins is a uh, suburb of Chicago. Uh, if there's any basketball fans, Dwayne Wade was also uh, from Robbins, Illinois, but um, I would pass Robbins up. Uh, not, not a very big town. And um, yeah, I would pass Robbins on the way to my high school. So yeah, just a little bit of local flair for you. Uh, also, we may want to R.I.P. Uh, Paul Winfield. We're we're a few years late because he died in two thousand and four. But since since you brought it up, um, top Paul two Winfield. build IMDb movies: Terminator, Star Trek Two, yes. followed by Mars Attacks. Which, oh man, he was in Mars Attacks. I I just yeah. watched that recently, but I, I wasn't really paying attention to it. So great nineties uh. movie. How um, many? I bet he died in that movie too. I think he died in every I, he movie. He dies in everything. <laughs> oh man! But R.I.P. Paul Winfields. But uh, Nichelle Nichols, yes, you will be missed. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the Star Trek fans across the world, along with uh, people in the industry, are mourning the loss. So to Speaking switch gears to something more serious, there's a moment in this movie that is just amazing and it's so bad it is part of film history and it's happening over my left shoulder dude did you laugh 
and how hard when he God. I didn't laugh because I thought it was going to be like a really dramatic, cool moment. And so just watching the most recent um, Star Trek reboot with the, with Khan in it, is that Into Darkness? I can never remember what it's called. I believe it is Into Darkness. Okay. So when Zachary Quinto uh, kind of swaps that and he's the one who yells out Khan, it is just full of emotion just coming from his gut and just like a cry out and it was just amazing watching this i was like what the fuck was that (laughs) i thought it was like so stupid and based off of you know i knew people would yell out khan um you know throw their arms up in the air which i don't even think he threw his arm up in the air he just was holding on to the mic um so i don't know where people got that from but um it was not emotion evoking whatsoever. If anything, it was just disappointment because in my head, I thought it was like building up to this pivotal moment that he's going to make that same primal cry and he didn't do it. It was just really bad. I think this is one of my top Shatner moments <laughs> because it's so terrible. It is the epitome of Shatner. And you know the really bad part is he has chops to be dramatic. If you've ever seen the Twilight Zone movie, yeah, where he does the 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 one where it's the thing on the side of the plane, and he was in the Twilight Zone episode too, by the way. Like he can act except when he plays Kirk, he's the worst. And it's so bad, it's great to me. But there's certain parts of this movie that I knew that I had to just hear your thoughts on. And that is probably the one where I was like, because I watched it again recently and I was just like, Dan's going to love this. I did not love it. (laughs) (laughs) Because I thought going into this movie, I thought this is the best Star Trek movie. The acting is great. The villain is great. What could possibly go wrong? So let's really get into what goes wrong on this because the, the Shatner thing is the tip of the iceberg that we hit and we just start, the whole thing starts sinking, right? They do get out of the cave, right? They had their code, which was really kind of cool if you thought about it, right? You know, days yeah. and hours, they tricked Savick. He did his whole, uh, the same thing, right? Not in the no-win scenario. They, they That was, again, a call out to Kobayashi Maru at the beginning of the movie. Um and then he gets back on the ship and they go after Khan and they go for the nebula because it's the sauce for the goose, right? Uh, everybody's the same in the nebula. Apparently we are such a futuristic. Uh, uh, we're, we're so futuristic that not only can I take over your ship with the little code and take your shields down. I just got to find a goddamn nebula. You can't have shields anyway. So we're good. We're even Stevens here. So they go into the nebula. They do the, the three dimensions of warfare, right? Not coming up from the bottom, but it's even over the top or, or they can't do the undershots because all the wires uh, and the puppetry. Um, but regardless, right, they do some really cool maneuvers with their with their models and we get through the fight. And and Khan does the Khan, uh, you know, uh, with my last breath, I spit at thee, right? Uh, all that cool Moby Dickness. Um, 
and 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 goes to die and the enterprise crew is going to die and they're all trying to figure shit out and they're all doing it and spock just walks away and like huh and then you get to see him do the nerve pinch and the face thing to mccoy which we found out so the nerve pinch i know what's the face thing you're gonna want to watch star trek three because what happens is he transferred his mind into his brain. Get the fuck out of here. I'm out. I'm gotta done, watch man. the next one. I'm, you have to. I'm signing off. I'll see you guys later. No. Have a great episode. No, spoilers. Spoilers. He transferred his consciousness, right? Or he, he backed up, right? He doesn't lose consciousness. McCoy doesn't automatically turn into him. He just had a flash drive in the back of the guy's head, basically, and went, Get Whoop. the fuck out of Whoop. here. Oh, dude. Dude, wait, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Um, and he goes in and sacrifices himself. They kill Spock, essentially, in this movie, which is like, for any of these fans, they brought back the movie. They did an amazing job. They went back to the old formula, all the Easter eggs, and a dead fucking Spock. And does the Spock thing, right? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Um, ship out of danger, which... Side note, in the JJ movie, when they juxtaposition that and use the same dialogue, I'm in the theater just could not be happier. My wife has no idea that they I, I may have made may or may not have made her watch it beforehand. Maybe I made her watch it after we saw the JJ movies. But I'm just like, no, 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 which is why I thought those movies were so good. But yeah. They juxtapositioned it. Spock dies. The only thing about it is he's got the gloves for the radiation, but his face, he can just be in that shit. <laughs> motorboat the shit out of that radiation. I'm going to motorboat the ship back to going. Um, yeah. Uh, I thought he was supposed to be like the very intelligent, superior being, logical one. And I get it. You know, so um, not seeing this and seeing Star Trek Into Darkness, it was like, Oh man, this is badass. This is so cool. I definitely am gonna like Star Trek Wrath of Khan. But going into it, the buildup to that final death scene and the sacrifice wasn't, you know, it seemed like to me it was just phoned in. And I maybe phoned in is the wrong term to use because, you know. Vulcans show very little emotion. So for him, it was just a logical process. The the Vulcan computer in his brain was just like, do this, I should do this. But at the same time, it was a very human sacrifice. So that's why I had a tough time believing that scene and seeing Chris Pine do that, you know, that role. It was just like, well, wait a second. They did it better in JJ's movie, just like Razor Ramon did Tony Montana better than Al Pacino. So (laughs) that's just how I think about it. But the thing is, both of those were an impression or a remake of the original. Razor Ramon copied Al Pacino. Chris Pine copied Leonard Nimoy. And I'll never forget the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And, uh, and I love that. It's funny you use the word human there because Spock dies. They do the whole thing. And then they put him in a fucking torpedo. And they're shooting him off. 
And I don't know what's a better acting job, the con or the eulogy. Nope. Human? Was he like, do you have to fart? What was going on? <laughs> <laughs> did, did that register for you as a huh as well? Or you just, you just glazed over it? I, you were I trying tried to figure not... out how they got bagpipes. Uh, well, that was an interesting thing, too. Like, I, I was thinking, like, why the fuck are they playing bagpipes? But um, I, at that point, I was trying not to, in my mind, nitpick the movie because I didn't want to bitch about every single thing that didn't make sense. So I was just like, I'm going to overlook this. And I wasn't even thinking that I was overlooking it. I was just like, I'm just, I'm not paying any attention to it. I'm just going to continue to watch the rest of it. You were numb at that point. You well, were Shatner numb. I, I try to give movies a shot. And, and I know when, like, I hate it when people nitpick movies. So I try not to nitpick. And so that was one of those things where it's like bagpipes culturally insensitive in the future, but um, hey, <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's just overlook that. You know, like, no big deal. Maybe Scotty is the funeral planner. Yeah, that's right. why they put him in a torpedo. Like Scotty, we need a coffin, Captain. But, I got um, a torpedo. You do that and the bagpipe record. You do that in a movie now, to where it's like. You know, they, they do that. They're playing bagpipes like, hey, man, easy on the bagpipes, you know, play do something else. Did you watch sake. this with your wife? With your wife? Was she offended? No, I watched it by myself wow. because she's not into Star Trek. I'm not into Star Trek, but I feel like I could have focused a little bit better just watching it on my own. So did you get the ending portion? Did you notice that they were talking about the Gemini thing or the... um? Not Gemini, the the Genesis, yeah. and it was alive. The planet was coming alive, and then they did this panty pan shot at the end, after the Dickens reference, after like I feel so young, right? They show Spock's torpedo tube on this now green lush planet that was SETI Alpha Five. Mm-hmm. Did you awesome. did you get the maybe Spock's not dead out of well, this, or were you like? Man, they couldn't let the guy get past the planet. I knew that Spock lives. And so I wasn't sure if like, did they shoot him on the planet with the last prayer hope that the planet would resurrect him? Or was it just, let's bury him and put him on this planet that none of us have ever been to before that he's never been to before. Like I was confused. So I'm like, it can't be that. So it has to be like, they were trying to resurrect him. That's the no. stupidest fucking thing. Though. No. In the next movie, they, they, they're scanning and studying this world. And they're like, why is there a life form? This shouldn't have formed yet. What's going on. So just, just a little bit, right. I'm going to, I want to, I want to give you, my pitch on why you may want to consider Star Trek three is because they grow Spock from a baby on the planet in the, in the oh, course of like God. a month or less. And then they have to somehow get his memory back in his head. I am not interested. And then interested they, and then the it transitioned into the whale movie. Fuck. That's that's Star Trek four. 
but they do kill Kirk's son. And um, if I if I remember correctly, and I'm gonna IMDb check right now on the fly. Um, I'm gonna say that in Star Trek Three, there is an actor you would enjoy. Lance Henriksen, Paul Winfield, Rick Rosovich. Tell me there's someone from Terminator. <laughs> so they have, uh, I'm looking at the, I thought there was somebody funny that played Spock. They have four different Spocks, ages 9, 13, 17, 25. Oh, wow. Holy which shit. Which I think is yeah. amazing, right? So they wait a second. It. Isn't the next movie called The Search for Spock? It is. Which Why the fuck would Spock's you call that back. the movie when he's there on the planet and you basically raise him? It's it's not that. I, I that that synopsis does not give full understanding to what you're going to run into. I'm not um, going to run into it. Oh, you but wait, wait. So I told you that Savick gets replaced. She get she gets replaced by Robin Curtis of MacGyver fame and the main villain in this movie is a Klingon commander played by none other than your favorite doc and mine, Christopher Lloyd. Really? Oh shit. Oh, now you got to watch it. I might have to. Oh, it's, it is, not as good as this one. I might, um, you know how like people always say like, oh, the book is better. I think I might go the book route and just Wikipedia synopsis and just read the plot of everything because I'm just curious now. But there's but so much bad acting you're gonna miss. I'm not, but the thing is, like, I would rather see bad acting on purpose. I don't think they do that on purpose in these movies. <laughs> That's the problem. You know, there's a difference between, oh, God, that movie's so bad, it's awesome. It's probably because they knew that it was going to be bad or, you know, That's at some like point all in my favorite movies, though, Dan. Uh, I mean, Naked Gun is a perfect example. It's bad acting, but it's supposed to be bad acting. Hot Shots. Bad movie bad acting but it's good because they meant for it to be bad and a spoof this is 100 dead ass serious and i'm sorry anything with the future unless it's idiocracy um it, it needs to play smart and this does not play smart what are you talking about they have engineering and they, they have warp drive piss poor engineering and warp drive uh, apparently apparently and Russians, you keep the Russians in charge of that stuff, man. Dude, Come they on. have they have global peace. Now we're worried about. Now we're not about just Earth, Dan. We're about the we're about the galaxy and tube TVs. We boldly go with our tube TVs. <laughs> we put all the money into the warp drive. So I, I think that that the question has to be asked just to see what kind of answer you can come up with. But Dan. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Spock, or The Wrath of Khan. Can you do this all day? Of course not. 
and I was so disappointed because I, you know, going to different cons and everything and um, watching multiple cons. Well, not, I'm sorry, conventions, comic conventions, uh, but going to those and seeing like just the, the love and adoration of Star Trek. You know, I always thought like Star Trek's fucking stupid, you know, and but of course I never really gave it a shot. It was just that that simple minded child of me where it was just like, oh, I like one thing, so I can't like this other thing. But no, you can like it all. But I just and I do like some of the Star Trek stuff, but I just didn't like this movie. The acting is shit. The reboot did it better. The music didn't move me. The practical effects or impractical effects made the movie worse. And I was trying to be very sensitive to the fact that like, yeah, it's the 80s. So it's not going to be like freaking Marvel-esque or Star Wars-esque or anything like. But you know what? Star Wars was in 79 and they did that shit a hell of a lot better. So... When you have characters that are, and in my mind, this was built up to be the the mountain of Star Trek movies. So it was like the Mount Rushmore of, you know, the best villain. And so it was like, uh, I was very disappointed. So my expectations from everyone's, uh, you know, their reviews and, and even just go, looking at Rotten Tomatoes and, and the different scores, I was surprised but not surprised at the same time so when i took a look at it 86 percent rotten tomatoes okay but then i saw 7.7 on imdb like oh okay and i'm pretty you know i talk about rotten tomatoes a lot but i think imdb nails every rating that they do and then i saw the metacritic which was 67 out of 100 and so i don't know what the basis is for metacritic but i am probably more within that Metacritic critique and rating. So I cannot do this all day. Mark, what about you? Before I go, I just want you to know that Star Trek three, the search for Spock has a 6.6 on IMDb. So get excited. I (laughs) can do this movie all day because it's just campy enough for me. It's terrible, but I love the, the, the things that have come from it. I enjoy the original references. I enjoy the 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 structure of the action and the structure of the story i don't know why but it's so bad it's great for me um i i i i've probably watched this movie at least like twice a year randomly i'm not gonna lie so i i need to say like just one last thing and i i made a note of this and i totally forgot to mention of it but while Khan is fucking around with the little parasite creature, the little caterpillar that goes in their ears, mm-hmm. Paul Winfield and, and the actor who plays Chekhov, I can't remember his name, they look so goddamn bored. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much a metaphor of how I felt. Is that felt you? Is that you the whole during time? This movie. Yeah. That's amazing. I oh, felt nothing. Man. Well, I, I I can't say that I agree with you, but I appreciate the fact that we went through this just to hear your your thoughts and your input because I think that's what the people want. 
they want Dan's reactions to everything. Man, they I, want, I they was excited. They want to hear more about the things Dan don't like. I was excited to to watch it. I was like, oh, maybe I'll become a Star Trek fan because of this. Nope. <laughs> you sound like me watching Enter the Dragon. So I'm there. Which I, I totally get. I totally get. But wow. This is well, this is one of those things where it's like, I guess Star Trek, not my cup of tea. At least not this movie. Not this movie. Okay. Okay. But Mark. Thanks so much for doing this. This has been another episode of I Can Do This All Day. This is Dan, the part-time adventure, and that's Mark, the resident Jedi. Don't forget, like, subscribe, message us, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. We would love your ideas for additional retro rewind content or new content, new movies that maybe we've glossed over that you think we should talk about and review, and you want to hear how much Dan hates them. I'm really excited for any opportunity at that. So hit us up, send us anything. If you send it in German, we will use Google Translate on it. So please use phrases that Google will understand. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.